Are you interested in a life in ministry? Are you passionate about the church and how it functions? Do you not get enough of listening to pastors on Sundays? Well, you're in the right place. This is Under the Fig Tree, a podcast for people who are interested in church work. I'm Ben. And I'm Micah. We are two pastors who work at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Join us as we dive into the vocation of pastoral ministry, dig into scripture, and occasionally talk about other stuff like our unquestionable love for the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, we'll be talking about Star Wars. We'll talk to guests about doctrine, traditions, and what makes someone a good candidate for the pastoral office besides being called by God. And we may just help you figure out if this pastor or deaconess stuff is for you. Again, this is Under the Fig Tree from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. What's up, what's up, what's up, everyone, and welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I'm your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, the Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and of course, joined by my highly esteemed other host. One day, I'm just going to pick one co-host, other host, host, and we're going to run with that. Nonetheless, the Reverend Dr. Ben Haupt. How are you, bro? I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm just, it's uh, that other guy, Ben. Uh, <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> Then uh, I've been attending virtually the the Concordia Seminary Multi-Ethnic Symposium today and uh, have been hearing some great speakers and, uh, you know, listeners, there there's a lot of uh, great content out on csl.edu and on concordiatheology.org uh, where you can find all kinds of uh, great stuff about uh, what Concordia Seminary is doing, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Not How are you, a, Micah? Uh, you know, good. Uh, it's turning into summertime here in St. Louis, which I always appreciate. Not a big fan of the spring. Uh, so it's, it's like one of those double entendres. The seminary campus is absolutely beautiful. Clayton, Missouri, beautiful. We get blossoms and beautiful trees galore, uh, but that comes with pollen. And uh, I never had seasonal allergies until we moved to St. Louis, and now uh, they're quite terrible. So I have to suffer this spring to some extent, uh, but I always look forward to that 100 degree, 90% humidity summer St. Louis weather, which is just around the corner. So, you know, it's always a little greener on the other side. It is. And I would say um, the, you know, yeah, we, we have some allergies here and I have allergies. We, we take some medicine. My kids have some allergies, but uh, spring in St. Louis makes it all worth it. It is a, a glorious time of the year to be here. Yeah. And we took advantage uh, just the end of last week. Gorgeous. I think the high one day was like 76. We went to our yeah. zoo. Uh, if you ever come to St. Louis, the zoo is free. And it's probably, one, I think it is not probably, I think it is a top rated United States zoo. Uh, and they're always doing construction, new things. It's a great it's place to top, spend time. It's the top rated free attraction in the United States. Bang, bang. Uh, just more incentive to come and study to be a pastor here. Uh, but today we do have a special guest. Uh, we are joined by Deaconess Cheryl Dorothy Nauman, who served as a deaconess, her internship at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and was consecrated as a deaconess in the LCMS in May of 1979. Her places of service have included Lutheran Home for the Aged in Kendallville, Indiana, after which she served alongside her pastor husband and mission congregations in the country of Scotland and England, followed by Redeemer Lutheran Church and School in Oakmont, Pennsylvania and is currently an LCMS missionary in the Dominican Republic, having been there for just over five years. While living in England, she also taught at London Bible College and managed the London branch of Concordia Publishing House. Deaconess Cheryl has supervised or mentored Deaconess internships and has been a guest teacher at some point for all of the LCMS Deaconess training programs. And her book, In the Footsteps of Phoebe, is required reading for LCMS Deaconess students and I have it on high authority that she is the mother of the most beautiful woman in the world. Cheryl, glad to have you with us. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, uh, pastors. Really uh, very nice to be able to join you today. Yeah, and of course, you're joining us from the Dominican Republic. Uh, can you just uh, briefly tell us about uh, what your mis mis 
missionary life and work is like in the Dominican Republic? Well, to start off with, since you guys were mentioning weather, it's 88 here right now. So if you hear the AC in the background, that's why. <laughs> we have AC in our, in our offices and in our bedroom. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, mission life is, is wonderful because what we're doing in terms of our uh, vocation is just so satisfying. People are the same everywhere. Uh, the people here need to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And thanks be to God, the fields really are white here. The people in Latin America and the Caribbean are very eager to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Most of them are poor. They live uh, hand to mouth, a lot of them. And Lutherans are one of the few Protestant denominations that come in and tell them the truth. We don't preach a theology of glory to them, which tells them, hey, <laughs> you join us, you know, join our church, and all of a sudden you'll have food on the table. Well, we try to love our neighbor and help them when, you know, uh, the people that we are witnessing to as we can in their physical needs. But we also tell them that you may always be poor. You may not be able to get the education that you want. You may not be able to get everything for your children that you want. But in the next life, Jesus Christ can provide you with eternal life where there's no more poverty, no more tears, no more broken relationships, um, just unity with all Christians, um, which can start here on here, right here in our missions. Indeed. If, if you couldn't tell from my uh, introduction of Deaconess Nauman, uh, she happens to be my mother-in-law. Uh, I'm married uh, to her daughter uh, and the mother of my three children, who have you heard of previously, uh, Jonathan, Talitha, and uh, David. Uh, my wife, Dorothy, shares uh, Cheryl's middle name, and our daughter, Talitha Dorothy, shares her mom's middle name. I wonder if that tradition is going to continue if Talitha has a daughter someday. Uh, it'll be exciting to see. Uh, shameless plug, uh, Jonathan and Cheryl are missionaries for the LCMS and are responsible for raising their own funds. And you can go and support them. If you go to lcms.org, I'm guessing like forward slash nowman or something like that. You can plug the website if it's not correct. Uh, you can donate to help them stay in the mission field to continue to uh, preach the gospel in the Dominican Republic and raise up new church workers because they both also teach at the seminary. Cheryl teaches deaconesses and Jonathan teaches uh, new pastors. Uh, and seminarians in Latin America. So uh, really great work going on down there. Uh, Cheryl, uh, I want to push forward a little bit. A few weeks ago, we had a deaconess on, Deaconess Christina Paul, a very mm -hmm. close friend of ours here at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. And the title of that episode was, What is a Deaconess? And this is, I think, a, a question that the church uh, continually struggles with. Uh, so right here, right now on Under the Fig Tree, as uh, Mother Superior of the Concordia Deaconess Program, can you give us a short definition of what a deaconess is, especially in the LCMS? Sure. Um, but first, I have to just make a short correction. Deaconess mm -hmm. Betty Mulholland is still the Mother Superior. Got it. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I don't know if I'm ever going to really hold that role, but, but I'm uh, happy to share... <laughs> Um, by the way, my mother's name was Dorothy as well. That's right. Uh, yeah. A, a wonderful tradition. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to start with what is a deaconess. Uh, in fact, I'd like to turn it around onto you guys. Um, and I want to ask you, uh, pastor Ben, is that call, yes. okay for me to call you that? That's great. Pastor Ben, what is a pastor? What is a pastor? A pastor is, um, a, a man who is called by a congregation to preach the word and to administer the sacraments, uh, to proclaim Christ uh, to the, the people. Great. Thank you, because that's where I want to start at. Um, we know what a pastor is. We could ask just, just about anybody else in our Missouri Synod pews, and they have a good idea that's going to come close to that. So what is a deaconess? A deaconess also has a similar definition that can be applied to her, which is she carries out a ministry of mercy. So we would say about the pastor, I think we would all agree, he carries out 
a ministry of word and sacrament that is in accord with the pastoral office. And the deaconess carries out a ministry of mercy, which is in accord with the deaconess office. An educator, a Lutheran school teacher carries out teaching in the um, office of education, let's just say. So um, you notice we haven't so far, we haven't talked about what a deaconess does. And in your answer regarding the pastor, we didn't talk about what a pastor does. We talked about the general theme of what he is responsible for. We could also uh, take a look and say, well, what does the pastor do? If I were to ask you, what does a pastor do? Pastor Glenn this time. Sure. What's the, what's the quick, you know, two sentences? Yeah, of course. There's always a preaching and teaching on Sunday, administering the sacraments, which goes along with the definition of the office that we already gave. Uh, and then in addition to that, I would say care for uh, the people that he's called to serve in that congregation in whatever capacity they need from his office. Uh, and that's that's that that side part of being a pastor that can sometimes differ by context beyond preaching and teaching of uh, the, the normal app, like the absolute of what a pastor has to do. Yeah. And so that is a great definition. Part of that is a great definition for the deaconess. So when a, when a, a, a couple or a family goes to church on Sunday, they can tell you, hey, my pastor does the service on Sunday morning. And some people think that's the only time the pastor works. But they couldn't tell you what the guy does the whole rest of the week. Right. Now, you know, they probably think, oh, it's marriage counseling. It's uh, marriage preparation. It's holding funerals. It's taking communion to people at home. Yeah. But the problem with the deaconess is that people can't see her on a Sunday morning in the church service. She doesn't do word and sacrament ministry. So what I often say to people is a deaconess is doing all that other caring stuff all week long. And there's nothing you can point to. Just like you can't point to the pastor. And actually, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want your pastor to tell you what he was doing all week long because a lot of it is confidential. Absolutely right. Uh, that's, that's one of those, uh, I call it weird, strange blessings of being a church worker when you're in this intimate counseling session with the person where they're revealing uh, their worst part, the worst part of who they are as a sinner and being mm -hmm. able to deliver absolution to them in that moment that, uh, you know, Christ has already died for you and his work on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. I, I don't say go and sin no more, but that's kind of like the conclusion of absolution. We all know that they're going to go and sin again. Uh, but, but, Again, just from conversation with my wife, uh, Dorothy, I know that some of those conversations also take place with the deaconess and where the, that while there's not the, the pastoral office authority, but that authority given to the, the priesthood of all believers, she also in moments gets to forgive other people their sins and share that intimate moment, which is uh, pretty incredible. Uh, I think uh -huh. it, th that's the side of, of, church ministry that we don't talk about often because again it's private it's secret we don't want to say things that reveal uh, or get people's antennas peeking up or who are who are they talking about on under the fig tree these wonderful sinners uh, that they're called to serve uh, but nonetheless it is one of the more rewarding things in ministry in general would you uh -huh. would you agree absolutely i would yes and i'm and i'm glad that we're like always circling back to the pastor because I think one of the things that uh, the church knows but doesn't quite understand is that the office of deaconess is an auxiliary office. And the office of teacher is an auxiliary office. So the big question is auxiliary to what? And what would you, what would you guys say? Well, I, I know the answer is it's, it's not Jesus, but it's the pastoral office. And I only know that because, again, I see my, my wife work all the time. Every time she does ministry to somebody, usually a, a woman, just by proximity and, and a willingness to open up, her desire is always, well, okay, how do I connect this person to the church, a.k.a. how do I get them a conversation with the pastor? 
exactly. uh, which is which is a, a beautiful relationship between pastor and deaconess, one that I've always appreciated. It is. I mean, one of the fundamental parts of our work, in whether we're sharing the faith, providing spiritual care, or just carrying out acts of mercy, is to always point people back to the uh, the altar from where the grace comes, the baptismal font, to the church where they can hear word and sacrament. But the, where I'm going with this auxiliary thing is that it is true that the pastor, that the deaconess is an auxiliary, you know, serves in a ca capacity or a vocation that is auxiliary to the pastor. And therefore, she is meant to assist him, to be a helpmeet to him in some ways. She works on behalf of the church in order to carry out things. Just, and, and so let me develop that a little bit more. The pastor represents Christ to us, right? As he carries out his job, delivering word and sacrament. He does it in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ. When the deaconess does her work, she's not acting on her own either. She's doing it under the authority and responsibility of the church or the church organization that has called her to do it. She is working on behalf of the bride of Christ. The pastor is working on behalf of Christ himself. So we have the pastor being Christ to us and we have the deaconess serving Christ by serving her neighbor. So it fits together very neatly. I mean, you could go on, you could get deeper into uh, you know, Christ and his, and his bride, but I mean, that's, I think that's a further far afield than you'd wanna go <laughs> with this, but it, it's very interesting. What, maybe not today, I, but maybe in a, a different episode. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we'll do a episode uh, episode two. One one thing that I wanted to ask a little bit about, and I think that we're heading in this direction. You know, a, a pastor is not a pastor doesn't just um, take this office upon himself and just charge into a, a group of people and say, uh, "Surprise, I'm going to be your pastor now." nor is it a real kind of informal thing. Pastors are put into an office. There's an ordination. There's an installation. Uh, these are, are very uh, solemn occasions where, where a congregation says, we want you to be a pastor. Um, so so a, a deaconess, um, in some similar ways, um, not that deaconesses are ordained, but um, it's not an informal ministry where they're just kind of volunteering their time, right? It's a, it's a formal uh, office and it, it uh, has a way of uh, being called. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, well, you're absolutely right that the deaconess in our synod is a trained person. She has a theology degree. She usually also has, depending upon if she decides to become a deaconess at the undergraduate level or the graduate level. At the undergraduate level, she would have a minor in church music or education, sociology, psychology, something of that nature that she felt might help her in her future work. If she's at the graduate level, she may already have a degree in sociology or any number of things, and then come to, uh, the one of the seminaries and become uh, and and do a further degree in theology at the master's level. So we've got a we've got a couple of um, things going on there. A deaconess can be a deaconess is only a deaconess in our synod if she's recognized by the synod and on the roster. That's the only way that she can be called. So she does have to go through a training program. The training programs have changed over the years, where we've added more, as you, as you've mentioned. Um, and um, so, for example, my program was five years. I had um, three years of university, an internship year, and then a fourth year. And that was the norm for a long time. <clears throat> and now I believe the internship is often done at the end, or if you're going at the master's level, it's only a couple of years and then an internship. The uh, education is definitely pointed toward teaching a woman to discern what needs to be done. So there are so many varieties of situations just as, it, just as for a pastor. 
when you're sent out, you know, into your first call as a pastor, you don't know if you're going to need to be doing devotions at a senior citizens group every month, or if you're going to be needing to do lots of youth ministry, or if you're going to be doing a lot of uh, counseling, or if people are poor. I mean, you know, you really don't know until you get there. If you have to teach people to use the hymnal for the first time, I don't know, could be anything. <laughs> Same thing is true with the deaconess. She gets into a place, she's taught to listen, to ask questions, to observe, and to apply our rich theological heritage to everything that she does. So whatever she's doing, it's not a matter of what she's doing, but how she's doing it. At least this is what we hope. And, and of course, the, under, the underpinning thing is that we're doing everything with love, uh, you know, as, as much as can be done as sinners ourselves. And that we hopefully are teaching that to others as we're going along as well. And so once the deaconess receives this, this training, then, then a congregation calls that deaconess to, to serve officially in that congregation. Is that right? The first call or first placement is actually done in, this, in a similar way to pastors or teachers. They're placed right. somewhere. It is true that more and more these days there are interviews going on just to make sure that where there are specialized skills needed that the women can fulfill those skills. Mm -hmm. Good. Uh, maybe another question is, um, you know, part of part of what we're doing in in uh, under the fig tree, what we want to do with this is to help people understand both at the congregation uh, why would we want a deaconess? Uh, because I think uh, a lot more deaconesses could be produced and could be uh, put to great use. So part of this is uh, a congregation might be listening and thinking, why would we, why would we need a deaconess? And I, I think that's an important question to answer and, and then to talk a little bit about uh, why, why somebody would, would consider this vocation uh, as well. Sure. Well, um, I've been a deaconess for a long time, as you noted by my son-in-law's uh, date, year date that I was consecrated. But I can honestly say that there have only been two or three instances in my entire career as a deaconess that I did something that a pastor could not do. And I can tell you what they are right off the bat. Um, one was that uh, a woman in the hospital was in, a, in the mental ward and asked me if I would come and see her. And a, past, <clears throat> a man would not have been in, allowed into that ward. Hmm. The other one was a woman who had uh, also a hospital situation. A woman had committed suicide and was completely nude and tied up to a lot of tubes. And they wouldn't let a pastor go in and see her, but they would allow me to which was uh, something I'll never forget because I was the last person to be with her and to speak to her about Jesus' love and forgiveness. So other than that, what we are doing, what was your original question? <laughs> well, why do, why, why do congregations need a deaconess? Oh, okay, yeah, how yeah. Would, how, the, how would a congregation put a deaconess to work? I, as a parish pastor uh, in two different, very different congregations, I, I know that I could have used a deaconess uh, back in the day. There was a lot of work to do. Pastors are oftentimes very overworked. So what might that look like for a congregation to explore? Maybe we should call a deaconess for ourselves. Sure. Absolutely. I think sometimes, to be fair to the pastors, They've got so much on their plate that they can't see beyond their plate to how to organize something else, unless maybe they want to give it to their secretary or to the LWML or something. But what I've said to pastors in the past is just do a little experiment, put a deaconess in your midst and see what work come, just comes out of the woodwork. And I'll give you an example. In our congregation in Pennsylvania, actually, maybe I shouldn't say where, but we were there a year my husband had accepted the call there and we were there a year before the congregation called me to do the work that, that they wanted me to do. 
And as soon as I was called, things started to come out of the woodwork. And I'll just give you an example. I'll give you several examples. I was in an elevator with one of our members going downstairs to Bible class. And she said to me, Cheryl, I, I'm so glad I have a minute with you. I just want to tell you uh, that I have a heart condition. And if I ever keel over during church, that um, you need to get that AID machine and take care of me. And I just don't want to tell the deacons because this is a woman thing. <laughs> okay. Um, another time, you know, you keep your ears to the ground. Um, another time, a woman was just sharing with me how she was so tired because she had to um, go to youth club and she was preparing for youth club and her husband was unhappy that she was at youth club. She, he thought that she was neglecting her children at home. And I said to her, look, he's absolutely right. Your first priority is being a wife and being uh, a mother. And the fact that uh, if, if this is actually interfering with your marriage, which is what she told me, then you've got to give it up. And um, she, she said, well, there's nobody else to do it. And I said, well, that's not your problem. That's the church's problem. So there are things like that, that people don't know. People sometimes are driven by guilt. Women in particular are driven by guilt. They also need to know that it's okay for them to work outside of the home and it's okay for them to stay home. You know, a deaconess can bring assurance to women in different things. One thing that happened to me when one of our sons <laughs> was assistant pastor with my husband at the same congregation. And he came home one Sunday, we tried really hard never to talk shop at home, but he came home on a Sunday and he, and he said to me, Deacon Snellman, he said, yes, Pastor Nauman. He said, starting next week, you are going to have a Bible class for women with babies at the same time that the pastor's class is going on. Now, I don't, I, I don't think this congregation has had very often had anything that would conflict with the pastor's class. But the point here is he said to me, women who have babies, including my wife, are staying away from pastor's class because they believe that they are disturbing, dis distracting other people from studying because of their babies. So the next week I started a class and I had like six women and 10 babies in there, you know, toddlers and babies. So you do not know what's going to come up. You don't know. Once you're there, you know, how can you have Sunday school if you don't have a Sunday school teacher? How can you have a um, preteen youth club if there's nobody who can do it or who can be taught to do it? A lot of things will come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Well, I can also, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to. I wanted to add on to that. I've seen Dorothy do things like that all of the time. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, she started a, a Zoom Bible study for women at the congregation she's currently call, uh, called to. And there were people that had been away from the congregation for some time that started tuning into that Bible study. And then uh, relationships grow anew. Uh, Dorothy does her deaconess thing and uh, you know it, it's one of those things and you highlighted it and it, it, there's it, it's it's like a perfectly ordered thing and it's one of those things that uh, I think uh, in the design of how we're created uh, works best especially when you see it in the church there there are just conversations that people women will have with other women that they won't have with their pastor uh, and the sooner you accept that uh, the better off you'll be mentally and you'll you'll stop wondering why uh, certain members have a certain disposition, but, but if you had a deaconess, that disposition might begin to change, not to where they'll start telling you the things they're telling their deaconess, but they'll be being counseled and served. Mm -hmm. And so their, their spiritual life will begin to repair uh, and, and be more healthy. And it's just one of those things, again, where I see Dorothy at work. We, when we worked at North County together, she was at the congregation that we were both called to. And I was over in Ferguson and time and time again, she'd call me and say, hey, I, I have this mother trying to uh, 
enroll her kids into school? Can you help her on your side of networking things? And it was just bouncing back and forth. And then eventually sometimes it was me counseling their husbands or boyfriends and trying to get them into shape and being, you know, worthy husbands and boyfriends uh, and things like that. And so it's like you said, it's this wonderful reciprocal relationship uh, that just goes back and forth. And well, Cheryl, we have, I don't know if it's unique. I I guess we'd have to dive into the demographics uh, and we don't have to have a long conversation about this, Uh, but, but there is, and it's not a competition, but there is a, a dynamic when two church workers get married in particular, I think more so than not, there's an interesting dynamic when a deaconess and a pastor get married. And it's something that happens quite often at the seminary where, you know, a guy and a girl are single when they get here, they spend a couple of years together and then, you know, they're off married on vicarage or to their first call. Uh, and so it, it is one of those things though, because, you know, we work in the church. Uh, there's only so many calls to be going around. And if you take a call to a particular place, there might not be, a call uh, most likely for your wife, the deaconess. So in your experience, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you and Jonathan have been married uh, like 40 years, 41 years, 42 years. 44 next month. 44 years. I knew, I knew it. I was just seeing if you knew. <laughs> uh, how, how has that relationship blossomed and worked uh, like together the, at the time that you guys have been married? Yeah, I think it works in different ways for different couples. I can tell you what the way that we've handled it. You were spoke, speaking a minute ago about confidential, confidentiality with um, deaconesses and the people that they're dealing with. I do want to say that occasionally when a woman is speaking to me, I will say, like, I'm going to stop you right now, because if you say anything more, I'm going to need to share it with the pastor because this is getting into his territory. You know, if, if your daughter and son are living together and keeping it a secret from the pastor, you can't tell me because that has to do with spiritual care and whether he's my husband or not, I need to tell him. So, you know, we need to stop right there. I think that um, from the very beginning, actually, because I was, a, I was a deaconess before he became a pastor. I was, when I was a, I was a deaconess already when he was at SEM because obviously it takes less time to be a a deaconess than a pastor. But um, we started out with some just sort of ground rules. And one was that we don't talk about work at home. He doesn't tell me anything confidential and I don't tell him anything confidential. Now people might really find that hard to believe, but I think after a while they understood that with, with he and I, because we would be at some function and somebody would say to me, oh, um, I suppose you know that so-and-so did something more. And I said, no, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And that makes everything a lot easier. The other thing that I did, which I think fits in here as well, is I've always referred to my husband as pastor at the church and only by his first name at home. I just get used to calling him pastor. And the same thing with, with my son, when my son was my pastor, it, 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 it helps. As far as receiving and taking calls, to me, I believe uh, that it's important for us as women to understand that our husbands are not only the spiritual head of our house, but the leaders in, if they're pastors, that the woman's call follows the man's call. I certainly have had opportunities in the past that were put in front of me. Um, I won't say exactly what they were, but calls that could have been given to me or uh, that I could have accepted that would have left my husband up in the air. And I certainly wouldn't do that because I, I feel confident that the wife is to be a helpmate to the husband first. That could cause a lot of trouble if you know somebody decided now there are a lot of deaconesses who don't have faster husbands and they get up and move and the husband follows them and they're that's a happy scene for them mm-hmm. for me it's always been just a matter of settling in letting the congregation or the entity nearby or whatever see what i can or can't do certainly my call in pennsylvania came as a result of 
someone asking me to help give counseling to a woman who was going through a nasty divorce. I ended up doing that for three weeks in a row. And the person said to me, man, can you just come every Friday and do this every week? <laughs> and my response was this. I said, I will if the congregation calls me. Because at the moment, I'm nothing more than a nosy pastor's wife. But if I'm called to do this and I have the authority to do this, then yes. And I then will be responsible to the congregation and you know we have an agreement going on here. That's great. One of the things that um, has kind of been rattling around in, in my mind as I've been listening to you that I think is just so important as you have these conversations with, with women in the congregation, as you care for people in the congregation, uh, working alongside the pastor. I mean, there, in some ways, um, you know, all, all Christians are called to some of these, to some of these roles, right? Um, all Christians have been given the word of God uh, and, and to share it uh, privately with, with one another. But, but the one thing that really makes the, the deaconess special beyond uh, a congregation specifically calling her to do that work, which we were just talking about, is uh, the deaconess's training. So, uh, so many people, um, when, when I was in pastoral ministry, people would regularly say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know that I could, you know, share my faith, or I don't know that I could talk my friend through this problem because I just don't have any training. And, and partly I wanted to say, okay, well, let's get into Bible study and let's do some training. But, but there's something really significant to be said about actual university uh, formal training. And uh, the deaconess, the deaconess receives that. Um, I wanted to, to see if you would talk a little bit about uh, your own training. I know that there's a, a part in your book uh, that I was really uh, amused by and, and took very seriously um, a question that was put to you early on in your training as deaconess. And it was just a simple question. Mm -hmm. What is the Bible? Right. But, but it was not uh, so simple to answer. There, were, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of debate. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um... In my book, uh, In the Footsteps of Phoebe, I actually have a middle section called vignettes. And um, it's kind of an unconventional thing to do in books, but I, the first section was written in third person and the second section I went into first person for myself and other women who were involved in the history of the of Concordia Deacons Conference and campaigning for Missouri Synod Deacons Program. Um, so I'm actually gonna turn to to one of those vignettes and just use it as a little outline here. By the way, before I read this, I just wanna add one of, the, one of the important things that we do learn, and I think your listeners will understand this because as Lutherans, we're very keen on it, is law and gospel. So at the university level, if you're reading Walther and you're understanding law and gospel and you're listening to a woman who's you know, feeling bad about something, she's either repentant or she's not, you are discerning whether or not it's time for law or for gospel. That's just one example of where the training is helpful. Yeah, I was in Theology 101. As my, in my freshman year, it was, uh, I was in the pre-deaconess program at Valparaiso. It used to be that all of our Concordias had two years of pre-deaconess programs. And then you moved on to Valparaiso where you finished your third year, then your internship and your fourth year. But anyway, I had this, teacher who came in and she put her briefcase on the front desk and there was this large bumper sticker on it that said Seminex. And uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, that's a probably a history lesson for another time, but it was, they were, they were difficult days in our synod and I had just started at Valparaiso University and she was a deaconess and she had just gotten a, a degree from Seminex. Um, anyway, we were using C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Mere Christianity. And the first question, question that she asked the class, as I recall, was what is the Bible? So lots of hands went up and various answers were given. And every time an answer was given, she turned around to the board and she wrote the answer up on the board. 
And uh, after a while, after about six or eight responses, I suppose, uh, there were no more hands going up. And I thought to myself, yeah, something really big is missing here. <laughs> so I raised my hand and I said, the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God. Well, until that point, she had written everybody else's response up on the board with no comment at all. But this time she didn't turn to the board. She faced me squarely and she said, if you really believe that, you're going to have a hard time defending your faith for the rest of your life. I was pretty stunned by her statement. And I mean, I think that we do still, we do have these things not happening necessarily in our Concordias, but when our youth go out to secular universities, they are really uh, battered by questions relating to evolution, related to whether God is really true or exists and relating to the Bible. Is it really what you think it is? So um, I was pretty stunned but she wasn't finished. It seemed like an eternity. She just berated me in front of the class. I wanted to crawl under my desk and, and escape, really. Uh, I felt that shame was being inflicted on me for what I believed. And I knew she wasn't right, but I mean, who was I, a lowly freshman? I wasn't going to uh, challenge her, especially in front of the class. And um, quite honestly, I just adopted the model, uh, the motto, cooperate and graduate until I was out of there. Um, I actually didn't stay there for my sophomore year. I went up to one of the Concordias and then came back my junior year. But yeah, that was pretty, the, those times were rough going. And I, I praise God that my parents were Bible-based people. And this is the important thing that we do as you started to uh, bring my attention to. We continue to come back to as deaconesses, as well as any other church workers. We we base our faith, we base our beliefs on what the Bible says, not what we think or what we reason or what we can justify, but what scripture actually says. Yeah, and that's so important because the, the scriptures do lay out, um, uh, well, they, they certainly are the inspired and inerrant word of God. Uh, they, they lay out um, that uh there are places for women to uh, be, be trained and to be part of the ministry of the word of God. Um, we, we read on an earlier episode, we referenced uh, the other episode that we did with Deaconess Christina Paul. We read uh, Romans 16, 1 to 2, uh, specifically on the, the story of Phoebe and the many other women that uh, have, have worked alongside the apostles and, and such. Okay. Um, but that was a that was a raw time for for you, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm grateful that um, sometimes in a messy world um, that uh, God sees us through those things. He always sees us through those things. But thanks be to God, uh, we we are not having debates about the Bible at Concordia Seminary these right. days. We are uh, we are solidly uh, and deeply rooted in the Scriptures and the confessions, and have no. Um, no apologies about that, or uh, if we don't have those, what what else do we have to offer the world, right? Um, mm -hmm. So my it area actually, is, yeah, go ahead. As, as I was talking there, I remembered um, how some other things came up. At, at, at one point when I was teaching biblical studies in a Lutheran school, um, the mothers of some of my students in seventh and eighth grade were saying to me, were asking me a few questions about what their children were learning. And I was pointing out these things to them in the Bible and particularly the mothers who were Roman Catholic because of course they hadn't studied the Bible before. And it ended up that the, some of the women said to me, our children know more about the Bible than we do. What if you start a class for us so that we can learn the same thing that our children are learning? Well, that started the woman to woman program. And I was having at one point up to three classes a week for school mothers. And of course we opened it up to the church ladies. And there were other things that came out of just being there as well from, from just kind of observing. So for example, I noted that there were children in my class who were going through divorces. Their parents were going through divorces. So with the approval of the principal, I started a group called the Conquerors Club. 
which was for children going through grief and particularly through divorce. So there are just so many ways to, no matter what the skills of the woman are, whether she's in teaching or in counseling or even in, in administration, that what she learns in her theology classes, what she learns about the Bible will have some bearing on how she is going to carry out her work. Cheryl, uh, the, the time for our recording is, is coming to an unfortunate end. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we could carry this conversation on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, and again, maybe a different episode someday. Uh, but in, in the beginning of your book, In the Footsteps of Phoebe, uh, I'm guessing a deaconess wrote a, a poem called The Deaconess. And we were wondering if you could read that. And then uh, once you're done reading it, if you could offer uh, some words of encouragement for, for anybody out there that might be thinking about becoming a deaconess. Sure, I'd love to do that. The Deaconess by Mary Weldon. No regal robe of state she wears in service of her Lord the King. Clad in the simplest garb, she bears his grace unto the suffering. Tis hers the troubled mind to calm, the fever parched lip to cool. Apply the mild assuasive balm to, wonderful, to wounded flesh or sin-sick soul. Self finds no room within her breast, her every thought another's needs. With tender touch she soothes to rest, while softly unto heaven she pleads. Mercy and peace upon her smile, the pitying Lord her prayer attends. Hers is a holy joy, a holy joy the while, his blessing on her path descends. Though poor of earth, a countless store of wealth is hers through Christ's own blood. His messenger she asks no more than faithfully to serve her Lord. Yeah, I've always liked that and that's why I included it in the, in the beginning of the book. I'm a firm believer in every young man and every young woman having an opportunity to turn down the possibility of church work. And by that, I mean every person who is of confirmation age or older should be taught what a pastor is, what a pastor does if they're, if they're young boys. And the question put to them, should you be a pastor? Maybe God is calling you to do that. If they're not given that information, they don't have the opportunity to say no or yes. Same thing with young women. I think that they need to be asked do you feel an inclination to serve God in, in teaching or in being a deaconess? Let's tell them what it is. Let's tell them what they can do. Let's tell them that the church, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has legitimate ways for women to serve their Lord full-time or part-time in wonderful ways that build up the kingdom of God, that spread the gospel, that teach the faith, that show mercy, that help plant Lutheran churches and sustain them. And when a young woman is shown this, um, she can ponder it. She can talk to her parents. She can talk to her pastor, maybe talk to the various deaconess training programs, see what they have to offer, and then make an informed decision. I think we don't do that enough. I think as parents, we very often think, well, well, we'd love our kid to be a doctor. Or we'd love them to be an engineer or whatever follows the family line. I mean, unless your family line is pastors, but sometimes we neglect, even as aunts and uncles or grandparents to say, hey, how about thinking about this? Just give it a thought. Just go to one of those um, sessions at our seminary or university that explores church work and just, just see if it touches you. Deacons, Nauman, this has been so fun to talk with you, um, to learn uh, with you, and uh, I'm grateful for your book. I learned a lot about the history of the Deaconess program uh, myself. It's been a, a true joy to uh, be on this, this uh, podcast with you, and we're grateful for uh, you and your family, and especially for bringing Micah and Dorothy and their children to Concordia Seminary. So, the Lord's blessings to you and to your husband and to the rest of your family as you continue in your ministry. Thanks. Thank you so much, Pastor. It's been a real privilege to be here with you.
listeners, if you're out there and uh, nobody has yet asked you the question, have you thought about being a pastor or have you thought about being a deaconess? Let this be the first time you're formally asked, even if not face to face. We we certainly ask you to to consider it. There's there's no higher call than than a, being a, a church worker, in particular being a pastor. And uh, it's not always easy work, but it's truly blessed work, and it's uh, enriching work, and it's work that is desperately needed in this broken and sinful world. And so as you continue to listen on to Under the Fig Tree, as you continue to grow with us, uh, even if there's just a a little piece of you is wondering, man, I I wonder what being a pastor or a deaconess is. Uh, As Deaconess Cheryl said, begin to explore it. Reach out to one of the Concordias. Uh, talk to your pastor, find a deaconess, talk to your teachers, talk to the people you know and you care about, and see what they think about you becoming a pastor or deaconess. Because if you're asking that question about yourself, I bet they have something to say about it as well. This has been another episode of Under the Fig Tree. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under the Fig Tree. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus shows his followers how to care for his people. Oftentimes, this includes sharing the word in intimate moments of personal conversation like the Samaritan woman at the well. At other times, it's sharing the word with crowds like the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes, it's just being there for people when they are experiencing the worst moments of life, like when Jesus was there for Jairus when his daughter died. It's gathering his disciples around a table of bread and wine to hear, This is my body. This is my blood. Whether it's as a deaconess sharing the word with the sick, or as a pastor preaching the word and administering the sacraments, being there for people at these intimate moments in life is something that Jesus is calling many more people to do. In Under the Fig Tree, we want to bring you into these moments with us, and maybe you begin to see yourself in one of these roles or feel yourself being called into service of the church. If you want to find out more about what it means to be a pastor or deaconess, visit us at csl.edu. And of course, keep listening to Under the Fig Tree.